Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. Good morning. We're so very glad and thankful to God that we are able to be here together this morning. We're so thankful for your presence, those of you who are members, as well as those who are visiting with us. We appreciate your being with us this morning and those online. We continued our study on First uh, Peter, First and Second Peter this morning. We'll be in First Peter chapter three. If you want to turn there with me, and Peter's got some things to say about our relationships. Every one of us, regardless of our age and status, we have different kinds of relationships. And all you have to do is live long enough, and you've had uh, some that were good and some that weren't so good. You've had some that ended and some that began. We've got uh, all different kinds of relationships. We understand relationships. We understand what they're like. We understand that they're a blessing to God, but they also uh, can be a challenge. They also can be uh, difficult at times. It's part of being a human uh, to experience relationships with other people, and it's a blessing that God has given us. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he's going to get into some things about relationships. He's going to say things to wives, he says some things to husbands, and then he says something to all of us in the church. He's writing to Gentile Christians who are spread uh, out within a large region, and he has some things to say about relationships. Of course, through both of his letters, we hear Peter talk about suffering. That is a constant theme in his letters, but within the theme of suffering and in addition to the theme of suffering, he's talking he talks here and in other places about our relationships that we need to have righteous relationships. And Christians he call he calls to live holy lives within these relationships to have Uh, holiness within our relationships, that we are to live holy regardless of our circumstances. In other words, our situation in life, our situation in the moment does not dictate our holiness. Our holiness dictates how we live within the situation that we are in. So we're to be holy no matter what our circumstances. Peter ends chapter 2 of 1 Peter reminding Christians of the suffering that Jesus experienced for us. That he went, the suffering he went through for our sake on the cross. And Peter tells us that uh, he, he suffered physical wounds so we could experience spiritual healing. By his wounds, we're healed. And we learn that righteous relationships in the home and in the church and in the world glorify God. That's what we want to think about today. That righteous relationships in the home, in the church, and in the world glorify God. And Christians are called to make sure we have righteous relationships, that at least least we are holy in our relationships. So we first turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, And we find that Peter is saying first something to the wives, to the Christian wives. And maybe that's because he knows they're already listening when the letter's being written. They're more attentive and they're already paying attention. He says, let me talk to the wives first. 
And he writes here in verses 1 through 4, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You see, the way God has created the home is that the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the home, of the wife and of the family. That's just the way God created that. And the wife is to be the the spiritual helper. We see that from creation all the way back in Genesis. They're to work together as a spiritual team in their family. And we know that every team has a leader on that team. And God simply has designated that it is the husband. And that's a lot of responsibility and a lot of uh, weight on the husband's shoulders to make sure he strives to live up to that. God has designated that the husband is to be the leader of the family. And wives, Peter reminds, Christian women are to be submissive to that leadership. Now to modern ears this sounds strange and even offensive to say these words. That's archaic, it's barbaric, it's oppressive. And no modern woman should surrender to these words. But God would never, ever do anything or say something that would be barbaric and oppressive. You see, this is the same culture that tells us that now. This is the same culture that can't even define what a woman is now. See, our culture is so enlightened And so intelligent that it now says we can't even know what a woman is. And yet this culture is going to tell us that what the Bible teaches is wrong and somehow even mean and cruel. This is the same culture, the same world that says a woman can be a man and a man can be a woman. And we're going to listen to what it says. We're going to believe what it says is true. We studied about sound doctrine in Bible class this morning. It's a wonderful subject, and it was done so wonderfully this morning in class. I encourage you to be a part of our Sunday morning classes. But, but if we're going to think soundly about truth, that's what sound doctrine is, true teaching. And we get that from God's Word, then we've got to say, well, what does God's Word teach about that? See, we've got to decide who are we going to listen to? Who has authority in our lives to tell us what is true? And God's design in no way whatsoever means that women in any way are less valuable, less important, less intelligent, less capable. Peter is encouraging Christian wives to be godly wives. To, he's reminding them of their influence that they have, their, their powerful influence that, that they have by design, even to help their husbands obey the gospel if they are not Christian. A Christian, And he's encouraging them just by your conduct, even without a word, if they haven't obeyed the word, even without a word, you live your faith at home and you might look up one day 
And he's receptive to the gospel. You never know, but, but Peter's reminding him, here's how to live as a Christian godly woman. And he said, and, and, and you can't be holy at church and then go home and be unholy and think you're going to win over your husband. In other words, the way you live your life at home matters. Your conduct makes a difference. And it's an encouraging word to wise. Peter, Peter also reminds Christian women that their true beauty doesn't come from jewelry or their hair, their nails, their clothes, their makeup, how well they can pose and filter themselves and put themselves on social media. That's not where true beauty comes from. And having the right look is something that culture continually, constantly crams down your throat if you're a female. And he does it to males too, but it's always the female. And there's constant messaging for females to, to, to for females saying, this is how you should look. This is the look, the fashion. And if you don't have this, no man's going to want to look at you. You're not going to be beautiful. And Peter says that having the right look is, is, is wrong, that, that that's not the way you're supposed to think. You're not supposed to be just uh, consumed with what culture says is beautiful, with having all the right externals. He says true beauty is on the inside. It's the spirit on the inside, that holy, righteous Spirit that's on the inside of you. You want to be beautiful? Every girl, every woman wants to be beautiful. If you want to be beautiful, you work on your inner life. You want to be beautiful, you learn the Word of God. You fill yourself with the Word of God. You be a follower of Jesus and you'll be more beautiful than you could ever imagine. And Peter is not saying you can't go buy some nice clothes. He's not saying you can't put some makeup on. He's not saying you can't fix your hair and wear jewelry. He's not saying that. He's talking about where is your emphasis? What are you consumed with? If you're consumed with the external uh, uh, look and all the messages of culture, you're going to miss it. And there's going to be no inner beauty in your life. And guess what? As, as, as Peter also says, that just like a flower withers, so does the outer person, doesn't it? Uh, all you got to do is live long enough and, and you're going to find some new wrinkles and some... I mean, it's not going to stay perfect, is it? No matter how hard you try. That's just the way our bodies are. That's just because we live in a fallen, sinful world. And Peter's trying to shift our focus. He's trying to help women because this is, a, this is an age-old battle for your hearts and for your attention and for your minds to get you to think that it's all about the external look. And Peter's trying to, he's trying to turn your head to look over here and say, no, beauty is about what's on the inside. Go get that dress. That's fine. Put, put your makeup on and do your, get that haircut you want. That's fine. But your emphasis, what you're consumed with, ought to be being a follower of Jesus. Wasn't it Paul who wrote, be filled with the Spirit? That's what you ought to fill your mind and your heart with. And I'll tell you, the rest of that will take care of itself.
Do you really think that those on social media and those on TV and those that culture pushes down our throat, do you really think that those who have the perfect look, that they have any beauty on the inside? I think that 99.9% of them probably don't. Maybe they do, but, but because they're chasing so much with all of their life and energy, all of their resources, this outer beauty, there's no time being dedicated to developing that inner beauty. And guess what kind of man that attracts? That attracts a man who's only concerned with the outer beauty, the outer look. And as soon as you don't have that right look, guess what? There's no depth inside of him either. And all of a sudden, when you no longer have the look, he's going to find somebody else who does. You want a man who's got working on his own inner life as well. And he's trying to be maybe not pretty on the inside, maybe handsome on the inside, because he's also working on his inner life. That's how God designs, and that's what He calls Christians. Christians who live in the culture that we live in. You see, uh, Charles mentioned it this morning, that the truth is truth, it's timeless. And this is, was just as true in Peter's day in the first century as it is today. The emphasis on where true beauty lies. Ladies, this battle to get you to focus on your energy, on your outward person, has been around forever. And Peter helps us remember that it's about your inner beauty. And in verse 4 he says that this inner beauty is very precious in God's sight. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That when you develop your inner spiritual beauty, God looks at that and He says, Now that's beautiful. God says that's beautiful. And then we get to verse 7. And to Peter, and Peter to husbands, have you noticed this? He writes one sentence. He writes one sentence. And, and I wonder if it's because, look, I've got to keep this short and simple and as few words as possible because I need to get this through your heads. And maybe I can get your attention for just a few moments. And he writes, likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, meaning thoughtful and considerate, showing honor to the women, the, your, the woman, as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, he gives husbands what we might at first think is an impossible task. Peter, are you saying I'm supposed to understand my wife? And the husband says, well, I've lost already. I'll, I'll never understand women. I can't read minds. I have no idea what they're saying, what they mean. I, can't, I don't know what they feel. I don't understand. But Peter helps us out. It's not as bad as we might think it is at first. You see, in a time when the woman was shown very little honor in their culture, Christianity enters into culture, enters into communities, enters into families, and it lifts women up. 
It lifts up the status of women and it honors women and cherishes them. And that's what Paul meant when he said, uh, when it comes to being a Christian, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. In other words, this isn't something exclusive to male Jews or something. That God looks at all people and He says, you're all deserving. You're all my creation. And Christianity always lifted up women. Their status in society and their honor in the home. And Peter is writing to Christian men and he's saying to Christian men, Gentile Christian men, who were in the first century culture, and he's saying, you need to honor your wife in the home. You need to have a righteous relationship with her. You see, this isn't as, as even some Jewish rabbis taught, one Jewish rabbi in particular taught, that literally, if she burnt the toast, in other words, if she messed up the food and you didn't like her cooking, you had the religious and legal right to divorce her. That's not showing honor to your wife. And Peter lifts her up and he says, Husbands, honor, cherish your wife. That's what Christians do. To treat them right, to treat them well. You're the leader of the home. You treat her right. Now Peter reminds Christian men that your Christian wife is an heir of heaven with you. Y'all are in this together trying to get to heaven, trying to raise your family to get to heaven and trying to uh, live as Christians together. Honor them and remember this. See, how we live at home matters. And husbands, we make plenty of mistakes. And when you're, when you're the leader, you, you probably feel it m- perhaps more than others. You feel like things are, everything is ultimately your fault. The buck stops here. And we can look at our own lives and say, boy, I've blown it plenty of times. I I don't know if I can ever measure up, but we need Peter to remind us. We need God's Word to remind us. Here's how you're supposed to be. Uh, don't, Don't feel defeated. Let me lift you up. And husbands, here's how I want you to be in the home. Because how we live at home matters. Now look at verses 8 through 17. Peter has said some things to wives. He said some things to husbands, and there's application and all of that to one another and other people, but, but now he turns and he says, finally, all of you. He has a message that he wants to give to everyone he's writing to, all of the Christians, all of the homes, all of the churches that he's writing to. And in verses 8 and 9, Peter writes, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, in other words, insult for insult. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You see, God has called Christians to be a blessing in their home, to be a blessing in their church, and to be a blessing in the world. We've got to ask ourselves, am am I living as a blessing to my spouse and to my family? Is my life, my existence a blessing to them? Am I living as a member of 
a local congregation? Am I living as a, am I a blessing to that congregation? In what ways am I blessing the work of the Lord here? Blessing the lives who are also in this congregation? And in what way am I a blessing to the world when I go to work in the neighborhood and in other places? How am I blessing the world? And we do that simply by living out our faith. Doing the things that God has called us to do. You see, righteous relationships proclaim the glory of God. They proclaim the gospel of God. And people see a transformed life. Not just at church or not just when it's popular, but even in the home, even with friends, even in every circumstance a person is in. And we get to verses 18 through 21, and Peter reminds us, of our righteous Savior. He's already reminded us in chapter 2 of the suffering that Jesus experienced for us and His salvation, and it reminds us again of Jesus' suffering on the cross. You see, it was Jesus who was the just one who died on the cross for the unjust. The just for the unjust. The just one hung on the cross. Why? So that the unjust could be brought to God. I love the way Peter says that. That He might bring us to God. That's a beautiful way to describe salvation. That Jesus, the just one, the righteous one, He died on the cross for the unjust so that the unjust, when they put their faith in Him and they obey the gospel and they're united with Him in baptism, which He's about to get to, He brings them to God. And He says, God, here's a new child. Here's a new child. They've been justified because they've come in contact with the blood of Christ through the watery grave of baptism because that's the way God designed it. You see, outside of a saving relationship with Jesus, we're still in our sins. It's, it's when we become a Christian, when we obey the gospel, uh, that Jesus justifies us, He cleanses us of our sins. And now because we are sinless, we can stand before God. We can stand in a relationship with a perfect and holy God, which is what we're studying tonight. We want to invite you to be a part of our services tonight. We're looking at God being holy and perfect and good. Look at verses 19 through 21. These are a little bit difficult, but I don't want to skip over them. I want to try to explain them as simply as I can because I think they're saying something important to us for us to understand. Peter says about Jesus that he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison in verse 19. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So real quickly, I want to encourage you to study this more if you're interested in doing so or ask me questions about it. But Peter is saying, interestingly enough, that Jesus preached there to the people in Noah's time. How did he do that? He preached through Noah. You see, in 2 Peter 2.5, Peter says that Noah was a herald or preacher of righteousness. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about what Noah ever preached. We never read about a sermon or a lesson or anything that he preached at all, but Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. 
Scholars estimate that it took about 55 to 75 years to build the ark. And, and within that time then, it's reasonable to assume that people walked by and said, Noah, is you crazy? What are you doing? It hadn't rained and, and Noah would tell them, here's what I'm doing and why. Noah, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. And what would Noah have done? Told them about the coming judgment. The Hebrew author talked about that in Hebrews chapter 11. The coming judgment of God upon the sins of the world. Because remember God said, I'm starting over. I'm pulling the plug. I'm going to reboot this whole thing. Where's the reset button? Because I'm going to hit it. Because there's wickedness everywhere except for Noah and his family. And the flood was coming and God was going to start over. And He told Noah to build the ark. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, which would mean then that he would have been telling people about the coming judgment of God. Turn to God, believe in God, turn from your sins. And what Peter means is that Noah was God's spokesman to warn the people of the coming judgment. And in the same way, Peter was God's spokesman, warning people of the coming judgment of God. We see that in his sermons in, in the book of Acts, don't we? Especially in the first part of the book of Acts. And they were calling people to turn to God. And Peter called people to follow Jesus. So just like Noah's family was saved through the water by taking refuge in the ark, so... Peter, Christians, people are saved by heeding Peter's words and they are saved through the water when they take refuge in Jesus' church. Do you see, Peter uses the word uh, 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 that it corresponds to this. In other words, it's just like, it's an analogy. Just like people were saved when they took refuge in the ark, they were saved through the water in the days of Noah. When Jesus preached to the people but they didn't listen, and He preached through Noah uh, prophetically, and that, that, that salvation through water in the days of Noah is a foreshadowing of the salvation through water that, uh, of the gospel that Peter proclaimed when we turn to Christ and we're saved through the waters of baptism and we take refuge in the Lord's church like His ark of today. You see, that water of the flood that washed away the sin of the world and saved Noah and his family, it foreshadowed the coming church and salvation through baptism that washes away the sins of our lives. It cleanses our our guilty conscience. Peter uses the word conscience three times in 1 Peter. It cleanses our guilt away. It justifies us, the just for the unjust, so that now we can be in a relationship, a saving relationship with God. That's what the gospel message is all about. And Peter's calling wives and husbands and Christians, remember this gospel message and the life that it calls you to, to live holy and righteous lives and to live righteous in your relationships. To live righteous in your homes, in the church, and even in the world, even when we suffer. For our faith. No matter what the circumstance, 
We're called to live holy lives. I want to ask you this morning, have you been living righteously in your relationships? As you think over your different uh, relationships, the different areas of your life, the different circles that you're a part of, are you living righteously in all those? See, being a Christian, living a holy and righteous life uh, is not about, well, I go to church on Sunday and I, and, I, and I even help out sometimes. But when I go to school or, or on Fridays or when I'm invited somewhere or when I'm with those friends, then, you know, that, then uh, uh, that's okay. I'll be at church Sunday morning. See, that's not what holiness is about. It's about how I live every minute of my life. And how when I mess up, I go right back to God. I, I repent of my sins. I get right back up. And I say, I'm going to live righteously before God. We all have room for improvement, but maybe you want to ask for prayers this morning for your relationships. To be more righteous in your relationships. Maybe you're ready to be saved through that water that Peter talks about to be united with Christ in baptism, to have your sins washed away so that now you have a clean conscience, a clean uh, spirit, a, a, your sins are washed away, and you stand justified before God. You're ready for that saving relationship. We're here to help you this morning. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.